0: Thank you very much. Uh, I was going to say you can grab a seat, but you already have. So good job. It is good to be here tonight and to share with you. And we are uh, in this series looking at Romans. And tonight we're going to have a look at Romans chapter 3. Now, I remember um, a little, oh, not too long ago, back when I was in high school. It wasn't too long, it was a few years. But um, I remember uh, back at high school on this one particular occasion, I was with a good friend of mine and uh, we're in class. And I used to run a bit of a mark. So this is like B.C., Um, before I came to Christ before Christ and um, and so uh, and so I was a bit of a rat bag and um, uh, to say the least actually but uh, I remember it was just a simple name roll and the teacher was just calling out names and I made some sort of comment which was a little bit um, not very nice uh, to the teacher and uh, she was pretty furious and I remember she turned to my mate and she said like you know, she was furious. How dare you get out of this room and I will deal with you in just a moment. And I remember thinking, oh no, she's pretty angry and maybe I shouldn't have said that. And my mate looked at her and said, but it wasn't me, like I never said it. And she says, yes, you did. Get out that room and I'll deal with you in just a moment. And he looks at me like, mate, are you gonna say something? Like I said it and uh, and I just, there's no way I was gonna say something. Like he looked like he was gonna be in big trouble. So I obviously wasn't gonna say anything. And he's like, he never dodged me in, but he said, I I honestly didn't say She goes, get outside that room. Now, I must admit, and I don't know exactly what ended up. And I think if if he was gonna get detention or something pretty serious, I I probably, hopefully I would have owned up or maybe I wouldn't have, I don't know. Uh, But... um, um, but, but I think he got into a little bit of trouble and uh, I, never, I never owned up to it. I think he just kind of took it, but I must admit, I did feel guilty. Like at least that's, you know, at least I do have some sort of conscience. Like I felt a little bit guilty um, that he got in trouble on my behalf and he took the consequences uh, for me, um, but I felt bad and I felt built, uh, guilty that he, that he got in trouble. I think uh, the reality is that every single one of us at some point or another, we know what that feeling's like, uh, where we have felt guilty, we felt bad about uh, doing something or something that we should have done that we didn't do. Uh, Maybe we've said something to someone or we didn't own up to something. Uh, Throughout our life, there is no doubt at one point in time, we have felt that weight of guilt. We just know "I, I, I didn't do that right. I didn't stand up in that situation or I shouldn't have said those things and we just feel bad about it and we feel guilty about it. The interesting thing is this, is that um, as I was looking a little bit at this passage, there was a psychiatrist that spoke about how he often deals and counsels a lot of different people, a lot of clients that he has. But he made this interesting comment and he said this, he says, if even, if my clients could know, if the people that I see and I counsel every single day, if they know that they could be forgiven, he said, I reckon easily at least
1: 50%
0: would never have to come back and see me again. Because he says forgiveness deals with this, this uh, with with, with uh, guilt. It, it, it deals with this guilt aspect that he says so many people carry. And he said, if they knew that they could be forgiven of whatever guilt that they carry throughout their life, he goes, I reckon fifty percent of the people wouldn't have to come back and see me. And you know, this interesting thought of this concept, I think, sort of rolls into the Christian faith as well is that I know when I first came to faith and I was on the job site, i often invite other tradies to come to church and things like that. That often the biggest response, and maybe you uh, have heard this as well, but the biggest response is often, oh, there's no way I could come to your church. Like it would fall in. Like there's just no way. Uh, There's no way I measure up. There's no way I'm good enough. Often used to say, you know, it's not church people uh, that that can go to church. Sorry, it's not good. I forget what I say. I don't know what I say. Uh, But anyway, I'll think of it a bit later. But the reality is, is that, um, uh, yes, I'm still trying to think about it quite. I want to get, I'm frustrated now. Uh, What do I say, Travis? You know what I say. Where's he gone? Oh, you're all right. Anyway, um, yeah, that's what I say. It's not church people that go to church. Anybody can go to church. Anyway, total letdown. Yeah, you thought it was gonna be way better than that. But it's, thank you. Thank you. That's the best clap I've ever had in any, any sermon I've ever had. Um, that's devastating. But anyway, um, but, but there's this, I think there's this connotation or there's this view out there that I just simply don't measure up. And so there's no way I could step into church. There's no way I could go. And it's because we think, you know, if there's a holy God and he's righteous and it's just, you know, surely it's just good people that go to church and there's just no way I could ever make it. And I think that's so true in our culture today as well uh, that we, we, that's just what we assume. And I assume that as well. You know, when I first was talking to my mate about church and things like that, I just assumed, well, surely it's like good people that go to church. Surely it's good people that get to go to heaven. What's so fascinating is the Bible does not indicate that whatsoever. And we're just about to explore that in further detail as well. But the Bible indicates that it's not good people that go to heaven, but it's forgiven people that go to heaven. And so, yes, we understand and we realize, man, I don't measure up. Man, I feel like I fall short and I don't always, you know, do the right thing. And there's a guilt that comes sometimes may weigh us down. But the reality is, is that the Bible indicates that in Christ we can be forgiven and all that guilt can be taken care of and that we can walk in the freedom that Jesus brings to our lives, the freedom of relationship with Him, not because of anything that we've done, but simply because, or anything we try and do for him, but simply what Christ has done for us. And that, is, that changes everything. And Paul writes further about this as well. It changes everything for us. You, you can walk out of here tonight with a sense of, if you've ever felt guilty, if you've ever felt bad, if you've ever thought, I just don't measure up, to how God you think God wants you to live. You just feel like I just fall short time and time again. If you've ever wrestled with sin in your life and you just think, oh, I just keep coming back to God, keep coming back to God with this thing, it's just never gonna be dealt with. Actually, the Bible indicates that what Jesus did on the cross deals with sin in our lives and it changes everything. And you can walk out of here almost with a new sense of identity tonight, knowing that you're forgiven, knowing that the guilt's been taken care of, knowing that your sin has been taken care of. And I tell you what, it changes everything. It really does. And Paul talks about this as well. He talks about uh, you know, our society today. And he goes on to say in verse 9 so this is chapter 3, starting in verse 9. And he says, Well, then, should we conclude that we Jews are better than others? No, not at all. For we have already shown that all people, whether Jews or Gentiles, are under the power of sin. As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. You see, often maybe you thought, oh, I've done some good things for God. But here Paul indicates there's not even a single person uh, that, is, that is good. No one is righteous. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. Their talk is foul, like the stench of an open grave. Aren't you glad you came to church tonight? Honestly, no, I'm telling you, it gets better. Uh, their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. And that's, I think, a reality of our society today and in our hearts and our lives. Our heart, our soul deeply longs for peace. They have no fear of God at all or they have no respect for God at all. Obviously, the law applies to those to whom it was given, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. I mean, Paul's not mucking around here. That every single person who's ever lived, that has died, that is to go before us, every single person throughout history, he states here so clearly, is guilty before God. For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. And so here, you know, it's like, it seems pretty pretty doom and gloom. Like it seems like, well, where do you go from here? And this is the reality of sin is that it caused destruction in our lives and it separates us from our heavenly Father. It it distances us from being able to have a relationship with Him, to experience eternal life, to experience fullness of life here and now as well. This is what happens with sin uh, in our lives. And you know, sin's got this... This this way, it's addictive. It has this way of just keeps showing up in our lives, and even when we think I've overcome this or I've gotten through this, all of a sudden it rears its head again, and we wrestle with it. I don't know if I've shared this before, but I I don't know. I must have some sort of addictive nature. I suppose I'm confessing now, Uh, but and, and particularly with with like lollies and chocolate and things like that. Like, I there's for me, I can't like like I remember one day. I was walking, we were just walking around the street with my wife, I think we're, um, you know, pushing the prayer and this is when we just had one child and we got onto the subject of chocolate. I don't know how it came, maybe I was just interested and I was keen to talk about chocolate and I wanted some or something, but, um, and so we got talking about chocolate my wife said, you know, you, know you, you should just have like a couple of pieces and then just roll it up and put it away. And I was like, I thought in my mind, I was almost offended, you know what I mean? Like, how dare you? Like, how could you say such a thing like that to me? Like, that's just not even, that's not physically possible, surely not, you know, like, I can't just have a couple of pieces and put it away and, you know, oh, that's it, like, like, I'm a chocoholic, you know what I mean, like, you don't say to a person that's, you know, trying to get off, uh, you know, alcohol, you know, recovering alcoholic, you don't say, oh, meet me in the pub and just have one beer, like, you'll be fine, like, you can't do that, and for me, it's like, when I open something, it's like, I don't just have a couple of pieces and, oh, that's the it. That's it. You know, I've got to finish the packet. The only way I can stop is when the packet's finished, like to be totally honest. That's the only way I can stop. And COVID was horrendous for me uh, because I'm sitting on the lounge at night. I had more homes, at, uh, more time at home at night and things like that. I wasn't out as much. And uh, it was a horrendous time. I seriously put on some weight. I didn't realize how much weight I put on. Um, and my wife's never spoken to me about my eating habits, which sometimes can be pretty horrendous, eating habits, but she's never spoken to me except during COVID. And I remember one time I was opening my second packet of family Maltesers uh, after 10 minutes. I know, I'm just confessing now. Yeah, it's it's, I told you, I'm a chocoholic. And she said, babe, like, do you think you really need a second packet? And I'm like, yes, I do. You know. And so I, I finished the second packet. And, uh, and so, but this is what sin, there's something addictive about it. And sin's like that that even when you think, because this is what happens to me, I don't know if you are like this as well, but particularly at the moment, I'm eating bad again, and uh, I wake up in the morning feeling bloated and just eating rubbish all the day before, and I just think, you know what I think to myself, I wake up and it's a new day, and you think, right, and I say to myself, today, today is the day I'm gonna eat healthy again. You know what happens? At the end of the night, I go, why did I eat all that stuff? You know, why did I do that? It has this way in our lives. Sin is addictive, And even when we think, no, I'm not gonna go back there, I'm not gonna do it again, it comes up again and it's so addictive and we keep going back and time and time again, we just can't overcome it. And that's what sin's like in our lives and no matter how hard you try sometimes, say, God, I won't let you down. God, I won't do that again. All of a sudden we find ourselves going, why did I do that? The end of the day again, why did I do that? And it's so hard to overcome. But the good news is this, and this is what Paul's talking about, but the good news is this, is that in Christ, That this is amazing, honestly amazing. Did you know that you could be in right standing with God, in right standing with Him? You know you've fallen short, you know there's sin in your life, you know you've done things wrong and you think there's no way God could accept me, there's no way God could love me, there's no way God could use my life. But you know what? This is what's so amazing about the good news message is that there is a possibility for you to stand, even though you know you've fallen short, for you to stand righteous, righteous in the eyes of God. For him to look upon you and to be no blemish whatsoever. Clean, clean before a holy and righteous God. And it's got nothing to do with what you can do for him. And this changes everything. You know what it is? Paul describes it in verse 21. He says this, But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him. How? Keeping the requirements of the laws we promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago we are made right with god this is how we are made right with god by placing our faith in jesus christ and this is true for everyone who believes no matter who you are paul is describing here it's not based on what you can do it's simply by uh, by christ alone by putting our faith in him the cross is so significant to the christian faith because it represents this extraordinary freedom That when we put our trust and faith in Jesus, we can be set free from all the blemish, all the mess, all the sin in our lives. We're set free from it. And we walk away. We walk away. And and God looks to think, to think that God could look at you pure and righteous in His eyes. But that's what Paul is saying here. That's what's so amazing about the Christian faith. It's extraordinary. As long as you continue to look at your ability continue to look at self for assurance uh, of of, uh, relationship with God, assurance of entry point to heaven. As long as you look to self, you will always wind up feeling short. You will always wind up feeling guilty. But as long as you live a life saying, it's not based on me, nothing to do with me, simply to do what Christ has done, then you will always walk with absolute assurance. Assurance absolute assurance that you can have a relationship with God and that you receive entry point to heaven and that you can experience fullness of life here and now and you know it changes everything the freedom that brings is extraordinary I remember when I was first year apprentice and we were working on my boss's house on this particular occasion and uh we'd raised it was a big renovation that we were doing we raised the house and we're building underneath and we were re-roofing his house and we were about two and a half stories up And I remember on this occasion we were doing this roof and my boss had rung uh, a guy that he used to use who had retired but he'd often call him up and say would you come back and just do this one roof for us and he would come back and he would do this roof for us and on this occasion he was an older guy but he was an incredible worker and He'd pick these big colorbond sheets up on his back and he would climb two stories up with one hand and he'd have the sheet on his back and he'd push the sheets up onto the roof. And this one day we were kind of screwing these roof sheets off, and some walking along the trusses and, and uh, you know, walking along the roof there, and it's you know, it can be slippery and there's the risk of falling and things like that. And on this one day, there was no scaffolding set up. I hope there's no workplace health and safety guys here tonight, but um uh, well, let's just say hypothetically, there's no scaffolding set up, but um. And there was no edge protection or anything like that. So if we fell, we fell. That was it, potentially to death or it's definitely to serious injury. And on this moment, as we're screwing these roof sheets off, I look over and there's Rob and he slips on the roof and he starts sliding down the roof. And and we just all stop in this moment. We're just watching. As he slides down this roof, uh, just, I don't know, by the grace of God, he kind of was able to put his leg out and sort of put his foot into the gutter of this roof and was able to sort of stop himself just as he was about to roll over two and a half stories down to the uh, the ground below. And he pulled up and my bo- it was just a freakish moment. And my boss immediately said, everyone get off the roof. Just everybody get off the roof in this moment. And uh, the next day uh, my boss uh, rocks up and he has about four harnesses and they're like kind of harnesses uh, that you wear abseiling or whatever. Uh, but uh, these harnesses you put on and you have a bit of lead rope and you, you screw in like a bracket into the roof. And what it basically does is it gives you enough lead to be able to screw off the roof, but it stops you from falling off. Or if you do fall, you're caught in this harness. And you know, the day before, I was walking around that roof so, you know, so sketchy. I was walking along the trusses and knowing I was just probably working fairly slow. The following day, we wear these harnesses and you know how much freedom I had? I was walking around and I was, I was moving more quickly. I had absolute freedom. Why? Because I knew that if anything happened, I had assurance that that harness would stop me from going over the edge. In the same way, often if we feel like, oh, you know, I fall short before God and there's no way I can measure up, often we just fall or walk around in absolute guilt. But when you know and you have absolute assurance that, that it's by His grace and it's by His mercy that you can know Him, then you walk around in absolute freedom. You walk around in absolute freedom knowing, hey, there's nothing, there's nothing that can separate me. Absolutely nothing that can separate me from the love of God. And that changes everything for you. And you have the, the ability to walk around in that freedom knowing that simply by Christ, not on your efforts, simply by Christ alone, you experience a relationship with Him. And Paul goes on to say, for everyone has sinned. We've all sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God... Yet God in His grace freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. The penalty of our sins. You see, when we do something wrong, we know that there's consequences and there's a price that needs to be paid and there's a penalty that needs to be paid. But God out of His mercy, God out of His grace, Paul says, as He frees us from having to go through the penalty that the sin requires in our lives. That's what the cross represents. You know, in a book uh, by uh, Philip Yancey called What's So Amazing About Grace, uh, there's this section where uh, Philip writes these words. He says, During a British conference on comparative religions, experts from around the world debated what, or if any, belief was unique to the Christian faith. They began eliminating possibilities, incarnation, Other religions had different versions of God's appearing in human form. Resurrection, again, other religions had accounts of return from death. The debate went on uh, for some time until C.S. Lewis wandered into the room. What's the rumpus about, he asked, and heard in reply that his colleagues were discussing Christianity's unique contribution among world religions. Lewis responded, oh, that's easy. It's grace. After some discussion, the conferees, Conferees had to, a degree, uh, had to agree. The notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. Isn't that true? The Buddhist eightfold path, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant and the Muslim code of law, each of these offers a way to earn approval. Only Christianity dares to make God's love Unconditional. And that's, it's extraordinary and it's true. Paul says it's the grace of God, the grace of God that uh, allows us to, uh, that, that, that Christ took the penalty uh, for our sin. His grace is amazing. But you know, I realize that often even if, because I understand some of you are so aware of this message. Some of you have been walking in the grace of God for 20, maybe 20 plus years and you understand this message. I still think there's a tendency at times, even though we understand the grace of God, to step back into it and we say, oh yeah, but God, I, I'm gonna do this for you as if he's gonna be impressed or God, I'm gonna make sure I stay away from that. And we still, we still work so hard sometimes in order to just, I realize it's Christ, but I just wanna add this as well and, and just in order to get in the good books of God. But it's simply by grace alone. And what we do oftentimes, we build up this resume thinking we offer it to God, like have a look at this God, have a look what we've done for you. I remember um, after my apprenticeship, I was keen to get out of there and I wanted to start um, and I went out and started doing my own work and started my, um, my own business. And I was doing a little bit of work here or there, but I did some work for somebody and a friend of theirs was over one day and they saw the work and, and she actually was uh, an admin, uh, did admin work for her uncle who was a builder. And her uncle was really busy. And the people that I'd done this work for said, well, actually, David's looking for a bit more work. And she said, oh, I should call him because my uncle's really keen to get some more chippies on board. And so um, uh, this friend of mine called. I went to school with her, sorry. And she called me and she said, are you interested in work? My uncle's so busy and he's flat out. And I said, well, I could give him a call and talk to him about it. And, uh, and I was open to it. And so uh, I called him and he said, yeah, I'd love to have a chat with you. And he said, why don't you come by when you get a chance? And so I said, that'd be great. I'll come by in the next few days. And so I thought, okay, maybe this is like a bit of a job interview. And, and I was telling some guys about this um, the other day. And you know, my, my old boss, he was he just so crazy laid back, still incredibly <laughs> laid back. Um, and so I went to go see him and I thought, you know, it's kind of like a job. Like, how much do I dress up? Or, you know, like I certainly didn't wear a suit or anything. But, uh, you know, I thought, okay, I'll dress up a bit and I'll go for this interview. I had a resume that I'd already done. I updated a little bit to take a resume with me. And I get to his house and he has this office down underneath his house. And I knock on the door, no one answered. So I call him and he's like, oh, no, that's cool. Just come down the side and come, you know, down under the house. And so I kind of trundled and climbed uh, over, uh, you know, 10 years of old uh, timber that's lying stacked there and uh, trestles and all sorts of things down the side of his house. And I got down underneath and, you know, he said, g'day or whatever. And he goes, yeah, grab a seat. And so I sit down, I'm like, okay, it's a bit of a job interview now. And, and as, uh, as I'm sitting there, he just kind of grabs this magazine. He goes, oh, I'll just show you some of the work, you know, we've been doing. And he slides this magazine across the table and it's like an architectural magazine that you'd find in, you know, a really nice magazine, of beautiful homes that are being built. It's the type of magazines you'd find in a news agency. And he slides it across and he opens up, oh, this we built this house here and we did this and that. And started showing me a bit of that. And then he started showing me the current plans and the houses they were working on and started showing me that. And I was like, oh, okay. And he never really asked me too much about, you know, what, what uh, I'd been doing, what I'd done through my apprenticeship and things like that, and then he started to say, "Well, this is what I pay my boys, you know, that currently work for me." And I'm like, "Oh, okay." And and then uh, and uh, he never asked for my resume or anything. And he said, "Oh, so when you know, like, when can you start?" And I'm like, "Oh, uh, I don't. Okay. Like, uh, I'm thinking. I think I'm maybe getting a job here or something. I don't know." And uh, and I said, oh, "I could probably start next Monday." He goes, "Yeah, all right. Well, why don't we do that? So start next Monday. I'll meet you on the job site and we'll go through the plans or whatever." And so I left that day just going, I grabbed my resume, never looked at it, never opened it, grabbed my resume just going, I think, I'm, I think I'm working for him, like I think I've got a job, I think I'm employed by him or something, I don't know. But I did and I worked for him for quite a number of years. And, but, but this is the funny thing, I think sometimes we try and build up our resume a little bit before God and we, we, we bring it before God as if God, check this out, look what I've done for you, look what I've achieved uh, for you. And you know, God's not interested in our resume. You know, Isaiah talks, about, Isaiah talks about that even our righteous acts are like filthy rags to God. Like even the good things we attempt to do for God. Like, like I think in, in a way, God's kind of sliding this magazine across to us saying, have you seen my son? Have you seen what my son has done for you? That's where our focus needs to be. Our focus is on the cross, not what we can achieve or do for God. And it takes, and man, the, the grace of God is amazing. And it changes everything for us. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. It should have been us, but Jesus is the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead, including them in what he would do in the present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just. And he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. That's it, when they believe in Jesus. You know, one of the big things about the cross is not only does this extraordinary exchange takes place where Jesus dies in our place, but the cross is a representation of, of its satisfying God's judgment on humanity. You see, because it talks about that the wages of sin is death, there's a consequence to our sin and what it requires is death on a cross. And so there's judgment on humanity because of that. But Jesus, out of His grace and His mercy, goes to the cross and He satisfies the judgment that should be on you and should be on me. That's the extraordinary thing about it. And it's an interesting thing to be able to serve a God who is fully just because we wanna serve a God who's just, don't we? You know, when things do go wrong, we wanna serve a God who's just. But to serve a God who is just and to serve a God who is merciful at the same time is an interesting concept Because justice, to to experience justice means you get what you deserve. To experience mercy means you uh, don't get what you deserve. You see the difference there? Justice and mercy. And yet we serve a God who is just and mercy at the same time. And the cross satisfies the judgment that God has on you and on me. It's It's a fascinating thing. Let me try and illustrate this a little bit. But I remember several years ago getting my first car it was a 1989, not that I'm this old, but it's a 1989 Toyota Hilux. I wish it was turbo diesel, but it was just standard diesel. And, uh, and it was slow, it was a four-wheel drive. And I remember my mate, one of my good mates at the time, he was right into, you know, Fast and the Furious movies came out and things like that. How many movies they got now? Like eight movies or something, just keeps going. And... Uh, And so he was riding to fast cars and he was riding to cars and and he, he knew about every car and how fast each car could get from zero to 100 and all this sort of stuff. And I remember one day he said to me, oh, we should see how fast your car can get from zero to 100. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that sounds awesome. And so we just pulled into a server and I just fueled up, so I was really ready to go. It would have gone really fast after a big full tank of fuel. And, and, um, and, uh, and so we get out, and you know how it was, it was a it was a fuel station just off the highway. So you know how you can come out from the fuel station and it's basically like you can just go for it and go to hundred. And so I stopped and paused, no cars behind me. And I stopped and then I said, all right, ready, set, go. And I floored it. And I was like, yeah, let's see how fast this thing goes. I floored it. And I was watching the speed on it, speed on it, and it was going, going, going. And then I said, 100. And he was like counting on his watch, you know, counting the seconds. And he goes, 31 seconds. <laughs> and I was like, 31? And he's like, yeah, 31 seconds. And I mean, he was like, I had a motorbike at one point. I think my motorbike went from zero to 100 in like three seconds, like it was crazy. 31 seconds. On this one day, we're going that, me and that same mate, we're going for a surf together at Corumban. We were driving up Corumban and, and we got the red light at the bottom of this, this Corumban hill. And then the light went green. I started driving up the hill and all of a sudden this orange wand thing started waving me down. And I was like, what's going on here? As a police officer, he waved me down. I thought, "Oh, I kind not been speeding. Like, obviously my car doesn't speed. And, uh, and so he pulls me over. I thought, it must be random breath testing. He goes, do you know what the speed limit is here? I said, yeah, 70K. He goes, that's right. Do you know what speed you were doing? I said, surely not more than 70K, you know, like surely not. He goes, you're doing 92K in the 70s zone. And I was like, oh, mate, you must, dead said, have the wrong car. Like, you must have the wrong car. I don't know why. He didn't want a bar of that. Uh, and, um, <laughs> and, and so he said, no, mate, I clocked you at 92K. So he goes back to his car and he starts giving me a, a, a ticket. Now, I didn't do this, but imagine for a moment I decide, you know, no way, I'm going to fight this. I'm going to go to court and I'm going to fight this ticket. There's no way my car could have done 92K up a, up a hill. Like It was so slow. Uh, and so I go to court and I, th- I think to myself, I'm going to fight this for sure. But as time goes on, I kind of cool down a little bit and I think, oh, no, you know, I pro- it probably was me, it probably was me. So I stand before a judge and he stands there and he looks at the situation, I'm called up uh, before him and he says, all right, David Twig, uh, I've got here, you're fined, you know, 92K in the 70s zone. Uh, that's n- not only a loss of uh, points, uh, but you need to pay a fine, you know, it's a hefty fine, $500 uh, fine. And in that moment, I think 500 bucks. He says, you know, guilty or not guilty. And I realise, you know, I've cooled down. It was probably me and I said, okay, I'm guilty. He goes, well, you gotta pay $500. And I think to myself, I don't have $500. I was a first year apprentice at the time, $6.20 an hour. I know, it's ludicrous. Uh, and, um, and I think there's no way I can uh, you know, get 500 bucks together. But then all of a sudden, the most amazing things ha- takes place. And this is the thing. The only way we can serve a God who is fully just, but also fully merciful, the only way is when a third party comes in, when a third party comes in. And here I am standing before a just judge the penalty is that I've got to pay the fine and I need to pay and I can't pay it. But the most extraordinary thing happens. Someone comes in on my behalf. You know who it is? Nathan Harris. He's amazing. He walks straight up to the judge, pulls out his phone. I was gonna say checkbook, that's pretty old. Uh, pulls out his phone and he just swipes away. Not swipes, but you know, beep, whatever you call that. And, uh, and he pays the $500 for me. And you know what happens in that moment that that judge goes, Writes it down in his book, he says, paid in full. Paid in full, the fine has been taken care of. And so, see, I don't have the ability to pay for it, but the judgment, you see what's happened here? The judgment has been satisfied in that moment. There's consequences that need to be paid, but Nathan pays it for me because I can't pay it. And then I can walk out of there in that moment. And and, and in the same moment, it's an extraordinary thing because I experience, I experience, uh, God's judgment being satisfied in that moment. I experienced the, the justice of God, but I also experienced the mercy of God in that moment. And I walk out of there free. And that's, that's what the cross represents. Judgment of God has been satisfied because of Christ and what he did on the cross for us. And we experience the, we experience the justice of God, but we experience the mercy of God in our lives. It's an extraordinary thing. This is how amazing uh, our God is. This is how amazing his grace is. And Paul goes on to say this. He says, so listen, this is important. Can, Can we boast then? Like if you understand this, he says, can we boast? That we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based on faith. It's based on what Jesus has done for us. In that moment when I couldn't pay that fine, it's based on what Nathan does when he walks in and he pays the fine for me. It's simply by putting my faith in what he did. No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not obeying the law. Extraordinary thing. I was going to read the whole story to you, but I won't. I'll just uh, paraphrase it for you. But as I was just looking at this, I came across a story about a dad who actually had adopted an eight-year-old daughter. They had biological children of their own, but he ended up adopting this eight-year-old girl. Now, you don't understand the context of this eight-year-old girl. She had already been adopted by another family. And it's a bit of a sad situation, but this other family, for whatever reason, I'm sure they had reasons for it, but they never really integrated their adopted daughter with their biological children real well. And every year they would go away to Disneyland, this is a family in America, they would go away to Disneyland and for whatever reason, they left their adopted daughter behind uh, with a family friend every time. And the adopted daughter every time missed out on Disneyland, but you know what, they'd come back and she'd see photos and then she'd hear the stories and she'd, she'd, she knew all about this extraordinary Disneyland and all about it and she always wished she, she could go. Part of the reason she felt that she could never, ever go to Disneyland, that she was always left behind because she thought, I, I just, I must mess up, I must do the wrong things, and I must be in trouble, so they never t- uh, took me. What happened was this family ended up uh, dissolving this uh, adoption and passing this eight-year-old girl on, and this new family took this girl in. And uh, the new family, uh, the father of this new family, when he heard about this history and heard about this, he decided, I'm going to take our whole family to Disneyland. I'm going to take our adopted daughter uh, with us and I want to take her to Disneyland. And as the lead up to that, and he told the kids and he told the family, we're going to go to Disneyland together as a family. And about a month in the lead up to going to Disneyland, um, uh, their adopted daughter started really playing up and causing a lot of ruckus and being really naughty. And one day the dad put uh, his adopted daughter on his lap. He put her on her lap and he said, you know, started to talk with her and asking, why why are you playing up? Why are you doing these things? And she made this comment. She said, "I I know what's going to happen and I know what you're going to say right now you're going to say that I can't go to Disneyland. And he realized in that moment, the reason she was playing up is because she just knew, I know what's going to take place. And, and, you know, she was kind of wrestling with all of that and dealing with all of that. And he said to his daughter, he said, hey, are you a part of this family? And she said, yes. And he said, well, as a family, we are going to Disneyland. You are coming with us. And she began to realize, he said in that moment, I wish her behavior got better, but it didn't necessarily get better. But about a month later, they're on their way to Disneyland and, um, and they go to Disneyland and they have an extraordinary time and the adopted daughter goes and she has this extraordinary time. They get to see, all the, you know, go on the rides. They get to see the attractions and all these things. That night after a full day of Disneyland, he's tucking his daughter, his adopted daughter into bed and uh, he's, he says a prayer with her and they're praying together. And he says to his daughter, he says, what do you think of, uh, what do you think of Disneyland? And she makes this comment and she says this. She states this comment. She says, Daddy, and she's kind of, you know, pretty tired from a big day. She says, Daddy... I finally got to go to Disneyland. But it wasn't because I was good, she says. Because she knew, she knew she'd caused so much trouble. She said, it wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. That's why. It wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. And in that moment, he said, God, show me this extraordinary, God's extravagant grace You see, the Bible indicates that when you surrender your heart and when you say, it's not based on what I can do, it's not because I've been really good before God, but it's simply because of Christ alone and what he's done for me on the cross, that you are adopted into the family of God. And you don't need to come before God and say, I've been really good. You come before God and you know that you are in his family, that you are his, you are his. This extraordinary grace of God changes everything and it brings freedom to your life. The great President um, Abraham Lincoln, the Great President Abraham Lincoln one day, ended up going to a, uh, uh, like a slave auction. And he was horrified by this. He went to a slave auction It sounds horrific, even in our day and age, to think of a slave auction, but he wanted into this slave auction, and he saw this lady being auctioned off to be a slave. And he was just absolutely mortified and horrified by the situation. And he started to bid. He was like, it doesn't matter what it costs. I am going to buy this. It sounds crazy. Buy this woman. And she stood on this bench and the auction was going on. He paid the price and he bought uh, this woman. As he wandered over to this woman, she came over to him and he says, I want to let you know that you are free. You are free. And she was totally bewildered knowing that she was there to be, you know, bored as a slave. And she says, what do you mean? He says, I just want you to know you are free. And she says, like free to say whatever I wanna say. He says, yes, free to say whatever you wanna say. And she said, free to like do whatever I wanna do. He said, yes, you're free to do whatever you wanna do. And then kind of almost anxiously knowing that surely this can't be the case, she said, am I free to go like wherever I wanna go? And he says, you are free to go. Wherever you want to go, this is. Understand this: you're free, completely and utterly free. And then, with tears in her eyes, she said, "Well, if that's the case, I want to follow you then." And you see, this is the amazing thing about grace. When you understand what grace and what God's done for us, it compels us to say, "I want to follow you, God. You've been so good to me. You've set me free. You haven't paid. You haven't put the punishment of sin that I rightly deserve. You haven't put them on me." And I get to walk away free and it compels us to say, because of that, God, I wanna follow you wholeheartedly. This is the word of God. Know that tonight and you can know the freedom of that in your own heart and in your life. Father, I thank you for your word. It changes everything for us. And I just know that there's some here tonight that for whatever reason, they've heard it many times before, but the light has just turned on. It's like the light's turned on. There's someone here that struggled so much with guilt, They've struggled so much with trying to measure up. They've struggled so much with just trying to become better. They've struggled so much with, with just trying to, you know, get in the good books of you, God. And tonight it's landed deep within their heart. Tonight the revelation that they so desperately long for it has landed. And tonight they realise it's by grace, by grace alone, not by works, by grace alone. And I thank you for speaking tonight. Great God, this is gonna be for some of you the very first time that you pray this prayer. For some of you, it's a a moment where you can pray this prayer again. In your head and in your heart, I wanna give you an opportunity to say, God, that's me tonight. I I wanna know the freedom of your grace. And just repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your grace. Thank You so much for Your mercy. Thank You so much for Your unconditional love. I want to thank You, God, that it's not by my works, but it's by Your grace alone that I can have a relationship with You. Come into my heart right now. Thank You for dying for my sin. Thank You for rising again, overcoming death. I want to surrender my life to You right now. Come and fill me with Your presence. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Great God, this is amazing, this message. It changes everything. And great God, I just know that there's so many people here tonight that have heard the message many times before. But I really just pray, Lord, that with this fresh understanding, this fresh revelation, that we are free in You, free because of the cross that we'd be compelled to say, all right, I gotta go like tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and this week, I gotta go. I need to tell, I need to really share this message with my work colleagues and my uni friends and my neighbours, great God, that, that this would burn deeper in our hearts than ever before, Father God, that you'd stir this fire up within us to say, we've got a message to share. It's not bad news, it's, it's good news. It's extraordinary news. It's the best news that anybody could ever hear. And so I just pray, great God, that you compel us, compel us to take action, to share this with the world around us, Father God as Paul describes, is so desperately looking for the deep inner peace that only you can provide, oh God, we pray. And so Lord, as we stand in this moment, of course, we're gonna stand with a passion and a thankfulness and a gratefulness in our hearts to say, God, we worship you, not because of anything we've done. We worship you because of your love, because of your kindness, because of your mercy, because of your grace, oh God. We worship you with all our hearts because you're so worthy of all praise and all honour. Let's jump up on our feet now. And let's worship our great God. And I specifically wanted to sing this song again. All hail King Jesus. Is he not worthy? Actually, why don't we give him a hand? Is he not worthy of all praise, all honour, all glory?
1: What sacrifice.
2: tells us that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And uh, it's a privilege when we begin to understand that we are saved by grace. And we, we learn to really lean into that. It, it compels something fresh in our hearts like Twig was talking about. And uh, it calls us to begin to surrender our life daily before Him. And it's not a surrendering our life daily f- uh, before him, in order to earn great favor, but it is allowing God to come and change us and renew us that we may become more like him. And uh, my prayer for us as a church this week uh, is that as we ask the Spirit of God to change us and renew us as we rest in the grace of Jesus, may He begin to teach us how to love one another as He has loved us. He's a beautiful saviour, isn't he? Full of grace, full of mercy. If tonight you've uh, you, you prayed that prayer, I'd love to personally meet you tonight. Um, and so I want to encourage you just, if you want to come down the front, I'd love to just pray for you. Actually, there's a whole pastoral team that would love to pray for you, but I, I personally would love to meet you. And so it might sound like a bit of a scary thing, but um, would you do that? Just just be courageous enough, come down, say Hi. And uh, we want to begin that journey with you as well. If you have more questions about Jesus, come, come chat with us. We'd love to uh, talk with you and journey with that as well. But God bless. Let's make sure we, uh, we go and, and spend time together as a community, hanging out, doing life. But I uh, look forward to next week gathering together. God bless. Have an amazing rest of the week. And for those online as well.